0: Nervous Rewind. Hello, and welcome to the fifth and final part of Nervous Nellies Rewind, Series 2, the podcast of the show about nervous energy and music. You're listening on Sin with Bailey. This part will cover noteworthy segments from Episodes 9, 10, and 11 of the October to December 2021 radio season of Nervous Nellies. These include the recurring segments Nervous Nelly of the Week, Nervous Network, and Access Spotlight. Although, as the season finale, episode 11 omits an Access Spotlight in favour of an extended outro, which I haven't included. As usual, the segments are all in reference to songs that aired before or after them in the original episode. For copyright reasons, they can't be included in the podcast. But if you go onto the show page on the Sin website, if you're not there already, there'll be an article for this podcast with a playlist of all the referenced songs. There'll also be. But if you go onto the show page on the Sin website, if you're not there already, there'll be an article for this podcast with a playlist of all the referenced songs. There'll also be a bonus further listening playlist with songs that weren't in the original episodes, but are there for you to listen to if you want some additional context for segment discussions. So check out the article, check out the playlists, and without further ado, here's the episodes. Episode 9 You just heard It's Alright by Megaflare. And you're listening to Nervous Nellies on Sin with Bailey. This episode, I'm using Megaflare as a representative for the label their song features on, Desk Pop, who I'm making our Nervous Nelly of the Week. This song comes from a compilation the label put out earlier in the year Desk Pop Green Version. On the same day, they also released a pink version with the idea being that both represent the two main genres desk pop's artists are involved in with pink being hyperpop and green being digital fusion i'm not as familiar with the former but my understanding of digital fusion is that it's a bit of a retroactive label intended to describe compositions that combine traditional and computer music By the latter, I don't just mean digital audio workstations, but music made from specific personal computing hardware and video game consoles, or modern software that recreates them. This could be MIDI, chiptune, other tracker music, or even just sampling sound clips or instruments from video games. And I call the label retroactive because this sort of music has existed in various forms for several decades. Alongside Deskpop is Staff Circ, and alumni from both had been experimenting with game sound fonts and tracker music since the 2000s. And the roots of composing for specific hardware, like VMSX and Commodore 64, go as far back as the technology itself. I guess the biggest development that music branded as Digital Fusion brings to the scene is that it stands more on its own in the independent music sector whereas previously, its audience had more of an inherent overlap with video game or computer enthusiasts. Another difference is that the traditional genres it fuses with are more diverse now, giving it more in common with mainstream electronica. Previously, tracker music in mainstream composition was more about adding chiptune to rock bands like Hanumanaguchi, Our original chiptune compositions would focus more on emulating jazz, or prog-rock, which also lines up with how composers like Tim Fallon pushed the boundaries of game music for the NES and Super NES. In the case of It's Alright, for example, the music fuses chiptune instruments with traditional synths and historic samples from electronic music. Personally, I think this is a great direction for the scene and will hopefully come with more mainstream recognition. It's also more accessible and doesn't oblige the listener to have a pre-existing interest in video games or old computer hardware. And most importantly, it's unironic, unlike some of the new age and lo-fi synth revivalism from the 2010s. Digital Fusion implicitly recognizes that in an industry driven by computer technology, Software composition is inherently on equal footing with traditional music, although purists might find this conflation alarming. While the industry is like this, it's worth acknowledging at the very least. And this is what I consider nervous about it. Anyway, up next is Mobius Strip by Hiatus Coyote, and after that is Fruitcake and Cookies by Sweet Trip. You just heard Fruitcake and Cookies by Sweet Trip when you're listening to Nervous Nellie's Onsen with Bailey. On the subject of fusing electronica with other genres, this track by Sweet Trip is a great example. I haven't listened deeply to the rest of their discography, but my understanding is that the noisier electronics are mostly exclusive to this album, 2003's Velocity Designed Comfort, which also makes them a great candidate for my Nervous Network segment focuses more on individual tracks than artist biographies. The basis of velocity is effectively melodic leaning noise and glitch electronics, like late 90s oval, mixed with shoegaze. Shoegaze is of course all about creating a wall of sound by leaning on guitar effects pedals, and Sweet Trip is still a rock band at its core, but at several points this wall of sound is also generated from noisy electronics sometimes bypassing the guitar altogether. The ending of Fruitcake and Cookies does feature a rock ensemble, but there's several synth lines layered over it to sound all the more chaotic, and the contrast between it and the quiet first half, like someone stitched two different songs together, emphasises how the whole album is digitally manipulated in post, which itself adds to the chopped and screwed vibes of the synths within the instrumentation. From what I've listened to, this sense of being manipulated in post kind of fell out of favour in electronically influenced indie rock, with artists like Animal Collective and Candy Claws more focusing on live synths, but at the very least, Velocity works as a successor to late 90s albums like Stereolab's Dots and Loops and Tortoise's TNT. Which capitalized on digital production to help compose their rock songs. And maybe something like Digital Fusion is just the inverse of that. Anyway, up next is Cubs and Lions, both by LTJ. You just heard Cubs and Lions by LTJ, and you're listening to Nervous Nellies, on Sin with Bailey. So now we're up to our Access Spotlight. Last season, I covered how the pandemic drove a lot of artists to put more of their discographies online. On one side of that is putting out of print releases, or just physical exclusives, of a digital download for the first time. But it also caused an uptick in online exclusives. Stuff made with shorter turnarounds, so fans could more immediately support artists while gigs were on hiatus. Plus, artists are going through lockdowns as well. So, self-producing, when you normally do the studio album cycle, also works to stave off the cabin fever. One example of this is keyboardist Aki Suyuka, who over the last two years self-released almost a whole hour of live recordings. Forest in July, for instance, is a 27-minute performance recorded in her music room, which probably would have just been a private session otherwise. Personally this is my favourite one, but it's a very seamless performance, meaning I couldn't really edit it down for radio, aside from doing an awkward fade out 15 minutes in, or the other way around, and I'd hate to cut either the beginning or end of it. But also up there is We Are Sharing, a 12 minute live track containing segments of multiple songs with more of a compilation vibe than Forest, and more suitable to play in full. This recording is especially sparse as a solo keyboard performance, too, which complements the more upbeat and noisier stuff we had on before. So, in celebration of digital immediacy, here's We Are Sharing by Aki Siuko. Episode 10 You just heard Rip Run by Seafield and you're listening to Nervous Nellies, on Sin, with Bailey. You may recall that I featured Seafield as the Nervous Tick of the Week in the final episode of last season, but while I described their final album of the 90s as a marvel of electronically abstracted guitar rock to the point of dark ambience, deconstructed so much that they could only follow it up after disbanding for 14 years, I didn't say what they sounded like after regrouping. So, in a similar vein to recently making Mice Parade the Nervous Nelly of the Week to discuss their current output, I'll be doing the same for Seafield. Although this is slightly different in that Seafield's last studio album was from 2011. Their recent releases have been live versions, reissues, outtakes, and brand new hour-long mixes of their late 90s albums and EPs. But what kick-started this archival process was an entirely new EP and album titled Faults, and a self-titled respectively, the latter of which Rip Run is from. The Reform kept two key members from the original lineup, Mark Clifford, whose abstract remixes for bands like Cocteau Twins implicate him as the driving force behind Seafield's increasing deconstruction, always recording original instrumental lines, but then editing them in post to sound more like Ortec. And also Sarah Peacock, whose vocalizations are even more wordless than Elizabeth Fraser's, and with Clifford's production, she sounds more like she's calling out from a black hole. The addition to their 2010s lineup are pretty interesting too, and feature Shigeru Ishihara, more commonly known as DJ Scotch Egg, and Ida Kazuhisa, one of noise rock band's boredom's many drummers. One of the biggest changes that this collaboration brings is that not all the instruments are edited in post. Clifford still handles a lot of the electronics, but independent of that is Ishihara's crisp, chiptune-like synths and Kazuhisa's thumping drums, as though the band has reconstructed itself just by selling its ingredients separately for you to reassemble on your own. A Seafield song with an actual drum beat doesn't immediately seem all that nervous to me, but maybe mixing post-produce electronics with live synths and percussion is more in line with something like Digital Fusion, where in a recording industry that can use any sample as the foundation of an electronic track, maybe all that's left is to play over your own recursively. And I guess the big question is whether they'll do more original compositions after they're done with all their archival releases of their late 90s work, but even if they don't, they've more than laid the groundwork for what abstract electronica can sound like, and if not themselves, someone out there ought to try and be the Seafiel of the 2020s. Anyway, up next is City Rats on a Mountain Pass and Onrushing Cloud, both by Belfi, Grubbs, and Pilia. You just heard City Rats on a Mountain Pass and On Rushing Cloud by Belfi, Grubbs, and Pilia, and you're listening to Nervous Nellies on Sin with Bailey. These two songs are off the group's debut album titled On Rushing Cloud. It's a collaboration between Andrea Belfi, David Grubbs, and Stefano Pilia, with Belfi handling drums and electronics, and the latter two handling guitars. I specifically aired these two tracks consecutively, because despite being indexed as five songs, the album is really just one continuous piece, and as the title and penultimate track, On Rushing Cloud is basically the section that the album is building up to over the first 15 minutes. It's the only part with vocals from Grubbs, and as hinted at by City Rats on a Mountain Pass, the preceding tracks are sparse instrumentals with subtle interplays between drums, guitars, and electronics. Because this is just a one-hour program, I haven't put the whole of the first 15 minutes, but by including City Rats, I wanted to get across how this is another example of Grubbs's experimentalism. As an ensemble, this is basically a rock band, but the composition of On Russian Cloud as an album stretches out the notion of a rock song to be a 30 minute concert-like performance. Not in a prog or math rock, polyrhythmic or multi-section way, but more ambient leaning and pushing the boundaries of what an intro and outro can be classified as. I've said before that this is what I consider nervous about David Grubbs, so I'm using this Nervous Network segment to reiterate how this also comes through in his collaborations with Belfi and Pilia. And, to me, it makes the title track all the more profound when it finally arrives. And if you stick around for the end of the hour, you'll hear me use this album's outro, Lightning Bolt, as the episode closer. In the meantime, though, up next is "Rivers" by Playwright. You just heard Shades of Blue by Flora Baba, and you're listening to Nervous Nellies on Sin with Bailey. So up next is our Access Spotlight, I've talked before about limited-run, physical-only albums that were finally released digitally in 2020, but this is a bit of a special one. In the 2010s, I noticed a very particular trend among lo-fi indie artists of only releasing albums digitally and on cassette. Third parties uploading people's albums to YouTube is nothing new, but the trend also coincided with a wave of channels that did nothing but this. For albums of that niche. I got put onto Jerry Paper This Way, for example. While it technically wasn't from that scene, one of the holy grails of cassette album uploads was a limited self-release from 2008 by Martin Courtney, frontman of real estate, originally made for friends and family. It was before real estate had any releases, it had early versions of songs that would feature on EPs and B-sides, such as Dumb Luck and Old Folks, and it used a stage name, Pario Mardi, that Courtney wouldn't go back to even when he released his first proper solo album on Domino Records. Anyway, Courtney finally gave these songs a widespread release in 2020, 12 years later, and you can tell it was a cathartic moment for the people who unofficially circulated it. Some of the comments on the release page cite sentimental value for this album, and, by extension, the digital crate-digging they got into as part of discovering it. And maybe this underground following motivated its official release in the first place. If so, we have online word-of-mouth to thank for the Black Hole of Fun, also known as the Pariomati EP, becoming purchasable. And in honor of that, I'll be putting on an acoustic track with mellow vocals, so mostly instrumental sounding, it's The Zoo, by Martin Courtney. Episode 11 You just heard Yonder Blue, by Tortoise, featuring Georgia Hubley. and you're listening to Nervous Snellies on Sin with Bailey. To cap off my trilogy of Where Are They Now? Nervous Snellies of the Week, which I'm now deciding is a trilogy, I'm crowning Tortoise as this episode's Nervous Nelly of the Week. When I've covered this band previously to discuss nervous techniques in music, I've mainly focused on their late 90s output when they first incorporated digital production into their composition. But I also ended that talk by saying that digital production, as composition, kind of fell out of the public eye by the early 2000s, simply from it becoming commonplace in everything up to pop music. So because Tortoise has released four studio albums in the 2000s, and as recently as 2016, I figured I should use this segment to explain what they've been doing since then. The other consideration is that 90s journalists initially lumped Tortoise into the up-and-coming genre of post-rock, and once that label also fell out of favour in the early 2000s, or at least meant something very different, I feel the band was sometimes unfairly described as passe for being part of an instantly dated genre, despite them and no other band at the time ever identifying as post-rock or ever intending to be described in this way. Tortoise can only really be described as a mostly instrumental rock band that alternatingly fuses various genres to remain engaging, toying with everything up to and including lounge music but without really sounding like music to be put on in the background. Their first two albums were rhythm section and bass guitar heavy, with occasional vibraphone for melody's sake. Then came TNT, the digitally composed album that I've spoken enough about. After jazz guitarist Jeff Parker joined from TNT onwards, the band returned to their traditionally composed style, with a traditional ensemble to boot, now featuring lead guitar, and creating 2001's standards in the process. Since then, the albums It's All Around You, Beacons of Ancestorship, and The Catastrophist have varied between riffing on exotica tropes, synth instruments, and Shark horror featuring guest vocalists like the one you just heard. I see conflicting arguments on whether experimental groups tackling standard pop structures is innovative or just going pop. The Catastrophist features one other song with a guest singer, a cover of Rock On by David Essex, which similarly works as a throwback to 70s rock staples. But to me, the idea of them fusing genres suddenly meaning that they've gone pop just seems like holding them responsible for the demise of post rock all over again. If music journalism has trouble describing mostly instrumental bands, it's not their problem. Maybe there's a discussion to be had about how popular journalist-born terms affect how people receive bands, which loops back around to what affordances they have for touring and recording sessions, which itself influences their trajectory as a band. In the meantime, I wish Tortoise all the best in Rocking On. Anyway, up next is an excerpt from Souvenir in Chicago by Nobukazu Takemura. You just heard part one of Souvenir in Chicago by Nobukazu Takemura, and you're listening to Nervous Nellies, On Sin with Bailey. In my first ever Drone Zone segment from last season, I talked about how I made it to put on some of my favorite long songs, but lamented that I still probably couldn't air one of my longest and most favorite items, Souvenir in Chicago which clocks in at about 35 minutes when played in full. As a treat to myself, though, I figured out a way to split the track into one 15 and two 10-minute chunks, which allows me to play the first two parts and therefore air 25 minutes of it. And part two, comprising minutes 15 to 25, will be what we end the season with as the final song. The part you just heard is the only section with live instrumentals, being played by several members of Tortoise and accompanied by Takemura on droning synths. You can hear near the end of this part that the song production makes it sound like it's glitching out. Random snippets of the live drum track from earlier get shoehorned in as the jam session slowly falls apart. The remaining 20 minutes of the song are an extended CD-skip solo, assumedly also sampling Tortoise's instrumentals. And in the final 10 minutes, the drone from the end of part 1 returns, counteracting the other random electronic noise. But that's more of the same, so I won't make you hear that section. What I really like about Souvenir in Chicago is that its technique of making the track sound like it's slowly breaking down is surprisingly unprecedented in glitch music. Often, artists like Oval or Paul will just take the clicks from the aftermath of a glitched sample and use it as the building blocks of a song. It's rare for an artist to play you the source material in full before making an extended glitch jam out of it, that's a shame, because it makes the technique seem more like the digital equivalent of record scratching, where each audio skip is the DJ adding their own contribution. In Oval's case, only the glitchy aftermath is used because he sees that as the most innocuous sample to make music out of, and instead highlight how his music is constructed from nothing in a digital audio workstation. Treating the CD skip like a record scratch would be beside the point in his case, but at the same time, Souvenir in Chicago is consciously aware that the glitchy breakdown isn't really like playing records on a turntable. For starters, Takemura is on the instrumental part of the track as well, by way of playing drones, which already breaks the illusion of him being the turntablist. And the context of the song emphasises the live nature of the recording, which, through seeming to be in the present, contradicts its role as a ready-made for him to scratch up after the fact. It was made when Takemura was literally on tour in Chicago, with the instrumental acting as a souvenir of his time spent with musicians local to Chicago, implicating it as probably being more of an impromptu jam. Being a live recording, yet breaking down in post-production, emphasizes the uncanniness of digital manipulation, how none of the context makes a difference when it's compressed to an mp3, and while historically analog recording was never truly representative of the original song, Now music is nothing but the digital recording. Souvenir in Chicago is context-dependent and takes 30 minutes to make its point, but because of its uniqueness in glitch music and in Takemura's own discography, I'm making it this season's final instance of the Nervous Network. Anyway, something in common the members of Tortoise and this next band have is that they've both toured with Stereolab, Mildlife were the opening act to their 2020 Zoo Twilight show, and I felt they held up the trend of being the rhythm section-heavy counterpart to Stereolab quite well, so here's their track, The Magnificent Moon.